Listener-supported KTOO, welcome to Juno Afternoon, broadcasting live from the homelands of the Aklan and On Demand as podcast. It's Wednesday, February 28th, 2024. I'm your host, Boston Christopher. Gunachish Hawa Salamat for joining the conversation. On today's show, the 12 by 12 Community Art Exhibition opens this Friday at the Juno Douglas City Museum. Little League softball and baseball signups are happening now and close soon. We'll chat about all the options for your little leaguers. And we'll meet this year's honorees of AWARE's Women of Distinction 2024. Those conversations, news, music, and more coming up this hour on Juno Afternoon. Hanson Gress, Ka eat with the shu ye, we kashuk a ye tin. Jin kat ka ke jin talk and a kaya ha on a kuk gunish This is Juno Afternoon from KTOO. In our news highlight today, a Chilkat robe that could be hundreds of years old was purchased at auction late last year by a group of donors and given to Sea Alaska Heritage Institute for Chilkat weavers to study. And this Friday, there will be a public ceremony welcoming the robe to Juno. As KTOO's Yvonne Crumry reports, the robe could offer new insights into the endangered art form. Simsian basket weaver Mingipsha Gipeg Candy McGilton says she first found the robe when she was looking for traditional woven baskets online. I just stumbled across the robe in an auction. McGilton sent a photo of the robe to Haida weaver and historian Kajuch Evelyn Vanderhoop. Vanderhoop says the robe at the auction has the same pattern of a robe that's at the Museum of Natural History in New York. The mirror design features form-line faces in faded blue and yellow, outlined in bold black. The face at the top is upside down, with killer whales facing out. Vanderhoop says this robe's killer whale pattern resembled a robe which 19th century ethnographer George Emmons noted may have been the first Chilkat robe given to Tlingit people by Simsian weavers. It's an exciting chronological story. That whole robe has a wonderful story. Originally, Simsian people wove in the Chilkat style. Tlingit weavers learned the art form through gifted blankets. They're called Nahain in Tlingit, and McGilton, who lives in Metlakatla, felt a personal connection to the pattern's history, too. That trade between the Tlingit and the Simsian with these Chilkat robes, it's a really fascinating and um, pretty miraculous thing that has happened throughout our histories. She's had a chance to study old baskets, to learn about patterns and techniques, and knew that this robe could offer that opportunity to chill cat weavers. There are secrets in the weavings that are just begging for somebody to look for them. And she says she's glad that the robe is back in Southeast Alaska so young people in Metlakatla can visit it. I feel like it's important for kids in my community particularly to know that we have a connection to Chilkat weaving because we don't have weavers like that in our community. And I want that to be an inspirational story for them. 
McGilton reached out to Catherine Bunn Marcuse at the Burke Museum in Seattle to see if the museum could buy the robe and store it. Bunn Marcuse, who's a curator, says she believes living Indigenous artists should have access to old pieces to learn from. The collections are the teachers, right? The old belongings. These creations have so much knowledge woven into them. And a robe like this one could answer many questions. The mountain goat wool, the cedar bark, um, the dyes. When do you collect them? What time of year? How do you process them? What are the right plant materials? What are the mordants in a dye? There's an unbelievable richness to the indigenous scientific knowledge that is throughout these old pieces. Von Marcuse says the museum couldn't make the space or gather the funds in such a quick time frame, just days before the start of the auction. So a group of donors gathered together to purchase it. One of the donors, Bob Moore from Seattle, says it's worth more than the $39,000 the group paid to make sure it doesn't end up in private hands. I know that uh, to uh, a full-size robe by a, a contemporary Chilkat weaver would be seventy-five dollars or $100,000 or more because it takes at least a year, sometimes two years to weave. So I, we know how much work goes into it. So the price for this robe didn't seem excessive to us at all. The Burke Museum connected the donors to Sea Alaska Heritage Institute, and the robe was sent to Juneau. Local Thingit weaver Lily Hope says the robe returning to its homelands helps revitalize the art form as a whole. I'm most excited to take my students over to Sea Alaska Heritage Institute and look at the backside of this robe. That's where we learn the most from our ancestral pieces. And that wasn't possible before now. This robe had been in private collections for at least 60 years. It matters that this robe is coming back with accessibility because many robes uh, throughout history are held in families and aren't visible to artists and makers. Hope says it may not be usable in ceremony, though. Museums used to use arsenic or mercury as pesticides to preserve old items, making them hazardous now. The robe is now in Alaska Heritage Institute's archives and collections department. And next month, weavers will start learning from it. In Juneau, I'm Yvonne Crumry. Sea Alaska Heritage Institute will hold a public ceremony this Friday to welcome home the historic Chilkat robe that was purchased by six people in the lower 48 and donated to the Institute. The event will include a traditional spirit dance to welcome it and bring life back into the robe. The ceremony is scheduled for 12 p.m. this Friday, March 1st, in the Clan House at SHI's Walter Sobolev Building in downtown Juneau. The public is welcome to attend and it will also be live streamed via the Institute's YouTube page. Up next, will preview the 12 by 12 community art exhibit opening this Friday at the City Museum. This is Juno Afternoon on KTOO. You're listening to Community Supported Juno Afternoon on KTOO, 104.3 Juno, 91.7 Juno Ock Bay, and online at KTOO.org. I'm your host, Boston Christopher. March is almost here, and that means first Friday all over Juno for the City Museum. It will be the opening of the 12 by 12 Community Art Exhibit. Here to share more about that and other things happening from the Juno Douglas City Museum is 
Kate Ross, gonna chisha igudi. Thank you so much. It's a pleasure to have you here. Wasaiti, how you doing? Ah, hot yake. Wasaiti. Ah, yeah, yake. Um, so Kate, twenty years. Of 12 by 12? 20 years. Yeah, this is the 20th annual 12 by 12 community art exhibit. Well, tell us about this cool project because it's community members and it's, I just, I love it. So tell us all about it. Yeah, it's, it's really, really cool. Every year there's a different theme and these themes are intended to be, you know, just an inspiration point, a jumping off point, um, really to inspire artists to, to create around this central theme, but really to let their imaginations go wild. All mediums are accepted. So it could be, you know, painting, uh, mosaic art. There's a mosaic artist that frequently does it. Um, and we also, include the possibility for 3D art because it's not just 12 by 12, but it can be 12 by 12 by 12. I love that. So as long as it can fit within that cube space, uh, we'll take it. And this year we actually have a number of really, really cool 3D um, pieces. So yeah, it's it's open to all community members, all ages. You don't have to be a professional artist. And uh, yeah, yeah, this and this year's theme is stellar. That's what I was going to ask. Yeah. Is I know you had the theme for stellar, and I know yeah. that you told me before we started today that um, it looks like the show just got finished being mm-hmm. uh, hung in the in the space. And I'm imagining, like, can you give us a tease of like what kinds of things you're seeing when it comes to the idea of stellar? Oh my gosh, just anything and everything. It's incredible. There are, as you might guess, a number of stellar jays represented. Actually. I I think you could make yourself a fun little little challenge of like counting how many stellar J's can you see? Because I think that was a that was a common inspiration for artists. Um, there's also maybe some stellar sea lions. And so those are not stellar spelled the same way. Right. Those are named after a person technically. But then we have the other side of things. We have stellar like space. And there are a lot of space themed, really cool galactic and stars and planets and deep space and all sorts of fun stuff. As you can tell I'm totally nerding out about it. I spent a while this morning walking around and looking at everything and it's really cool. I'm imagining that um, people just kind of have their own idea of what stellar means. Mm-hmm. And and it, when it comes to like the 3D versions of that, mm-hmm. like are people making satellites or are they making star systems or are they making 3D fish I mean, <laughs> just, or 3D you know, birds or what? I don't know. I I'm mean, just kind of curious. You must know Bo Anderson and be familiar with his work because uh, 3D, you know, fish and birds are kind of in theme for him. Um, yeah, we have uh, we have some of some of all of the above when it comes to the 3D stuff. I think we have we have a couple from Bo that are 3D that are just incredible. We have some that have kind of some stars. One even has um, some lights that like, it lights up. Um, I love that. And there's a, there's a really cool piece by Rachel Jusler that incorporates a lot of glass mosaic elements. And Oh, wow. Yeah, it's really, really incredible. So now there were, how many pieces were submitted for this show? I think our final number came to 48. 
48. Okay. 48 pieces. And so there were, you're allowed to submit multiple entries. So there's a handful of people that have two or three pieces in the show. So I think we're somewhere around between 40, 43 artists total. Oh, I see. How, okay. Mm-hmm. I see how that works. Mm-hmm. But you could submit more than one if you. Yeah. And so a couple of people chose to do that, but most, most people have just one, one piece. So yeah, we've got 48 pieces, which is pretty incredible. That is cool. So tell us a little bit about the opening reception that's happening this Friday. Yeah. So just for for First Friday, which is actually March 1st, which is always kind of fun, um, from four to seven is our opening uh, reception. And that'll be we'll have some fun food. We actually have a um, one of our amazing volunteers is making these special gourmet cookies that are stellar themed. <laughs> so I can't, I don't want to give too much away. You got to come and check it out, but there'll be some fun stuff like that. Um, we also have Tom Loker and some of his music students, or maybe just Tom and one of his music students at any rate, live music, um, which will be really fun. So we'll have some piano music going on and, uh, yeah, I think it's going to be amazing with with that many local artists. It's going to be a party. It's going and to be of fun. course, there's no charge for the opening reception. Yeah, and actually, all through the winter months, it's great to keep in mind that the city museum is free of charge from October through April. Through April. Yep, yep. So we don't start charging again until May, and even then, it's only six dollars. So. And and that is a benefit uh, provided by supporters of the museum, right? Yeah, absolutely. It is. Yeah. So this month, um, uh, generously, uh, Michelle Storer donated the amount and she actually covers a couple months of the winter admission. So that's really an incredible thing that we have a number of community members that do that is a way to give back. So they cover that admission cost for those winter months um, so that it can be free for through through the winter when we have less tourists and we want to encourage locals to come and experience the museum. We don't have to fight our way through exactly. the tourists. We can go and just enjoy exactly. Exactly. And especially a community art project like the 12 by 12, mm-hmm. like that's, it's been an annual thing for 20 years, which 20 just kind of blows my mind. I know. Um, and I'm sure that it'd be fun to see, like, was there anything, was there any like retrospective at all? The idea of that? I mean, I guess some people's 12 by 12s are probably off into the, into the ether somewhere. <laughs> um, yeah. I don't know if there's been any kind of like a retrospective. We, we, when we were choosing the theme for this year, we did kind of talk about like, do we want to make it specifically something about time mm-hmm. or, you know, and I think that's kind of where we came into like time, time and space. Wait, just space. So stellar. But um, yeah, we don't we don't have a lot of details in terms of like the number of participants in the past. We are fairly certain that this is the largest uh, number of pieces that we've had in any one show. Mm-hmm. Um, and I do know that we have a lot of community members that submit pieces every year. So cool. you have to come on Friday and maybe ask around some of the artists. See yeah, how see how long they've it. been doing it. Yeah. That'd be really cool. So it's Friday, March 1st from 4 to 7 at the Juno Douglas City Museum. And if you can't make it Friday, the exhibition will be on through April 20th, mm-hmm. which is really kind of cool. Um, all right, Kate, what else is happening at the museum besides this awesome free admission basically through April, you said? Yeah, all the way through April. That's um, pretty great. It's pretty, yeah, it'll be up for a while. You have a lot of great chances to come see it. Um, we do have our continuing exhibition that will be up for a while on Switch and it's Switch and Exchange, A Brief History of Telephones in 20th Century Juno. So that's kind of fun. We have these um, old-timey photo uh, phones, and a couple of them, you can't talk through them, but you can actually ring them. And it's a little <laughs> hand crank ring. and you can Juno 567, please. Yeah, exactly. I know. I can't resist doing the voice every yeah. time I'm down there. Yeah. 
Yeah. Uh, so that's fun to see. That'll be up for a while um, through the summer. So lots of chances to come see that. And then the big thing coming up that I will definitely remind everyone about next month when I'm on as well is we have two uh, big things that you can apply for or nominate someone else for. Both do April 3rd. So we have the Marie Darlin Prize. Um, nominations for that are due April 3rd. And then we have the Juno History Grant and applications are due April 3rd. So those are very kind of different ways to either apply yourself or nominate someone you know um, for this prize or this grant. Um, the Marie Darlin Prize is a $5,000 prize. Um, it can be submitted by any individual or organization. And oh, where's my other now? Uh, the Marie Darlin Prize specifically recognizes outstanding works of artistic, literary, performative, or scholarly merit that concern the cultures and people of Southeast Alaska, the Yukon, or Northern British Columbia. So, our most recent uh, winner of the Marie Darlin Prize was Lily Hope, who I think checks, you know, most of those boxes. Really, all of, them, <laughs> all of the boxes. <laughs> so that's that's something that you know, if you have somebody in mind that you think really has been doing an amazing job um, in any one of those fields. Um, that uh, you can nominate them or you can also nominate yourself. And then the Juno History Grant um, is anything about Juno history uh, resulting in a tangible product. But that product could look like a performance, a presentation, recordings, publications, um, uh, digitization of historical information, a book, really a lot of different things. And that's something that you have to apply with a specific idea of a project. And uh, and Yeah. Oh, that's awesome. Yeah. And you can, of course, I'm sure, find all of this information out at juno.org slash museum. Yep, right? absolutely. Awesome. Well, Kate, thanks for coming in and telling us all about it. It's Stellar, the 20th annual 12 by 12 Community Art Exhibition. It's this Friday, the opening reception, March 1st from 4 to 7 p.m. at the City Museum. No charge for the reception and no charge from the museum, basically all the way through April as a great mm -hmm. benefit provided by community members who support the museum and offer that to all folks in Juneau to go to the museum. So, um, and of course, get your applications in for the Marie Darlin and the Juneau History Grants mm -hmm. um, that are happening um, from the museum. So thanks, Kate, for coming in. Really appreciate it. Yeah, absolutely. Gunnish cheese. Gunnish cheese. Okay, up next, spring is almost here. Yes, really. And it's time to think about your little leaguer. We'll have the details next here on Juno Afternoon from KTOO. KTOO would like to acknowledge that we broadcast from the homelands of the Akwan. The Klenidi have stewarded this area for thousands of years. Today, our studios sit on a spot once part of the Tidelands, now covered over with buildings, roads, and parking lots. We recognize those families who traveled to and from these Tidelands to fishing and hunting grounds and to gatherings in other villages and still cherish it as an important part of their way of life for today and for future generations. KTOO turned 50 a few weeks back, and we are celebrating throughout the spring, and we want to hear from you, the community that has supported locally owned airwaves in Juneau for five decades. We'd love to hear your reflections on how KTOO has impacted you over the years. We're looking for audio submissions that are one to three minutes in length that share your thoughts, memories, driveway moments, personal stories about the station that we can use on the air. To submit, Record your message on your smartphone and email it to junoafternoon at ktoo.org. 
Instructions for getting good audio can be found on our homepage at ktoo.org. We look forward to hearing from you. Gunathchish, Hawa, Salama, thank you. Support for Juno Afternoon comes from Heritage Coffee Roasting Company, providing Juno with locally roasted coffee for over 40 years, with cafes and drive through locations throughout Juno. More at heritagecoffee.com. This is Juno Afternoon from your listener-supported public media station, KTOO. I'm your host, Boston Christopher. Gastineau Channel Little League runs baseball and softball divisions for hundreds of local youths age 5 to 16, and registration is now open. You can find out more at junolittleleague.com. And here to tell us more about it is Jeff Kirsch and Isaac Kirsch. Going to cheese to you both for coming. Hi. Hi. Good afternoon. Yeah, good afternoon. Hi, Isaac. How are you? I'm um, pretty good. I like you already because you're wearing a Yankees ball cap. Yep. <laughs> you big Yankees fan? Yeah, I like the Yankees a lot. Awesome. That's Although so cool. They're kind of bad. They're kind of bad right now. <laughs> uh, yeah, they've been bad for a little bit, but um, back in the back when I was a little bit younger, they were pretty awesome. And they'll get, you know, it's all a cyclical thing, right? They'll mm-hmm. come back around. All has to do with the draft and getting mm-hmm. those farm leagues up. And part of this farm league is Little League, yeah, right? Yeah, no, and it's cyclical too. Um, this every year, you know, it's, I mean, it's, going to be March tomorrow and uh, always like, oh, you know, baseball is so the big leagues are, are back for spring training and uh, you know, we are starting to try and make plans for the coming softball and little league seasons, which are, you know, even though it might not seem like it, I mean, what is it like 20 degrees outside and it just <laughs> snowed yesterday. I mean, we're hoping to start at the end of April and that's, you know, six Six weeks away, eight weeks away. So, not too far. It's not too far I mean, to be thinking about it. It seems far away, but uh, it's really not. So It's going to come pretty fast. So tell us a little bit about, I think we all kind of know what Little League is. Uh, it's baseball and softball, and you have a range of ages. But tell us a little bit about you know Gastineau Channel Little League and how it's structured and all that. Um, well, so it's got, uh, so everybody plays T-ball together. T-ball is the youngest division, so five and six years old. And sometimes we even get four-year-olds playing too. Of course, all depends. You know your child at that age um, and what they're capable of doing. Um, and then after that, it's kind of broken off into softball on one side and baseball on the other. And they have similar division structures, which is farm, which is for, you know, six and seven and maybe even sometimes eight-year-olds, again, depending on, you know, kids of that age are all, all different. And that's with coach pitching and some tea still and machine pitching. And and uh, then after that, you have minors and minors, majors and juniors in both softball and baseball are quote unquote competitive leagues. They keep score and they, you know, you have a, re- you have a record and there's a postseason tournament at the end um, and all-stars, all-star teams and such from, thank you for reminding me of that. But um, you know, the idea really is that you start and hopefully, you know, you start playing when you're five or six and keep playing all the way until when you age out at age 16. So 16 is the final. And how old are you, Isaac? Um, 13. 13. Okay. So how long have you been playing in the leagues? Long, long time. <laughs> a long, long time. Since since the early days, since the T-ball, I would assume. Yep, since I was like four, three or four. Five, I think five. was your first Five season. was the first year. And so uh, what is it that you love the best about uh, baseball? 
Uh, I just really like because um, it's kind of a small town, so you know you know everybody from every team, and a lot of times they're your friends. So it's you get uh, really interesting interactions when you're like facing your friends on the mound or something when you're hitting against them or you're pitching against them or playing against them. You just it's like it gets really fun. Is there a little like, bit of uh, is there a little bit of smack that gets talked? Do you guys talk a little bit to each other and <laughs> yeah, we do egg each other like, on? <laughs> it's it's just like funny because we're all so close. Everybody in the league, we just, you know, we just kind of like just make fun of each other a little bit while we're playing. I love that. It's it's, it's definitely very good nature. Good spirit. And, and we yeah. everybody makes makes sure that um you know and and but I think it's also kind of fun, isn't it, Isaac? When you wind up getting to be on your friend's team, sometimes yeah. that happens, and sometimes it doesn't happen, and sometimes you wait for like five or six years even and for them to get on your team or I don't know how does that yeah I've personally had one of my my best friend um Henry Meyer um he was on my team for a while in like the farm league and minors and stuff and all through majors we've we've always been on the same team and recently this year we got split up and he was on another team it was last year but last year sorry it's okay and it was um it was really fun playing against him for the first time because we had always been playing side by side, and it was it was really fun facing him. I hit a home run off of him. Oh, nice! All right, that's and a good he thing. Hit a double off the fence off of you, so yeah. let's <laughs> let that not go unsaid. <laughs> Payback, right? For sure. So, what position do you play, Isaac? Oh, uh, in like regular season, I play like shortstop and pitcher and catcher, but in more like competitive, difficult leagues, I play. Third base a lot. Third base, yeah. I played a lot of third base. Uh, I, I I loved Little League. It was so fun. And it's it's definitely, you know, get your kids out, right? And how long does the season last, Jeff? So, yeah, so the season starts. Um, so, of course, it's all going to be dependent upon the weather and the field conditions. Um, but we try to start at the end of April. Last year, we wound up starting the first week of May because it snowed. We have a, had a late snowfall, but we'll see how it goes this year. Um, hopefully, the weather and the fields cooperate. And the city and borough of Juneau does a great job getting the fields ready and stuff, too. So they won't let us play on them until they're, you know, 100% you know, ready to go, So, um, which is great. Um, so we're trying to start at the end of April, and it usually it goes until the middle to the middle to late June. So it's kind of like a two month, uh, the T-ball and farm divisions are a little bit shorter. You bet for minors, majors, and juniors, seniors, you have to play a certain number of games, uh, in order for the players to be eligible for it, for, for all-stars. But yeah, generally speaking, it's like you have one month where you're in school and then one month, like that first month where you're out of school and that kind of Seems to be how the the season breaks down. Like yeah, that'd May be a, and June. That'd be a fun time to do it. Now I noted that you have it's open to everybody. Open to everyone, and that's the great thing about Little League. It is come one, come all. Um, even though some players have been playing for like my son eight years, I mean, I know that I, we do some work in the winter time with a different baseball program, Midnight Suns, and I know that there are kids who are going to be signing up to play in the oldest division. Who this can be their first year playing baseball and. Um, so it's, it's open to everyone and, you know, if it's going to be nice and it's going to be sunny, which hopefully it will be like the baseball fields are some of the sunniest spots to be actually, cause there's no trees or anything. And, 
Of course, they also tend to be some of the wettest spots, too. So you kind of have to embrace the good and the bad. But again, we're also hoping for a really sunny season where we can just get, you know, hundreds of kids out there playing baseball it. and playing softball and running around and getting dirty. And That sounds good. Yeah. I, want, I do want to mention that the registration is ongoing, but mm -hmm. for some of your upper divisions, that registration closes on March 10th. Yeah, and, and there's, so and there's a yes. I'm sorry, I don't mean to cut you off, Boston, but that's no, a good. Okay. Thank you for that's a and for minors, majors, and juniors in in both softball and baseball, you have to attend a skills assessment, um, and you sign up for that when you register online. There'll be a link that is given to you automatically. It's like continue here to sign up for a skills assessment, and so that registration for those divisions ends at the end of skills assessment, which is the 9th and the 10th of March. For T-ball and for farm, that registration goes all the way through like April, I believe. Yeah. So. Absolutely. Well, Jeff and Isaac, thanks so much for coming in and telling us about it. Break a leg this season or don't. That's what we say in the theater. I but broke I, a wrist today. <laughs> well, you got to get that fixed before the season starts, I guess. Yeah. Right. Is that your, is that your glove hand? Is my throwing hand? Oh, that's your throwing hand. Oh no! Well, hopefully it heals so we, up in time for the season. We, st so like I said, we still got two months. So, <laughs> well, it's anyway. Juno. It's JunoLittleLeague.com where you can find out more information yep. and you can register your kids and uh, get out one, and play some and baseball. And one last thing too, if you want to volunteer, if you feel like you want to, you know, umpire or help out in any way, shape, or form, manage a team, coach a team, or anything, we're always looking for volunteers too. Oh, so. absolutely. That's cool. You can find out more information about that on the website. website. Yeah. On the website. Yep. JunoLittleLeague.com. Yep. Gunnath Cheech for coming in today. Really appreciate it. Thank you for having us on. Of course. Up next, we'll meet the honorees of this year's AWARE Women of Distinction 2024. But first, a special leap year episode of Star Party. This is Juno Afternoon on KTOO. Let's have a star party. This is Steve Kosas with the Reject Planetarium. I'm going to talk about 2024 leap year. Years that are divisible by four, such as 2024, four goes into it 506 times, are leap years. And there are some leap years that are skipped if they're divisible by 100, but not 400. And the last leap year that was skipped was 2000. It won't happen again until around 2100. Now, what's the reason for a leap year? It's because the human-made calendar does not coincide with the properties of the solar system. The most commonly used calendar has 365 days in the year, but the properties of the solar system are that the Earth takes 365 and a little less than a quarter days to orbit the sun. So to compensate for that difference between the properties of nature and human calendars, we add an extra day every approximately fourth year. And that causes a leap because in a common year, 365 days, the day of a specific date, like your birth date, advances by one day. So Monday would go to Tuesday. 
In a leap year, however, it jumps two days. So if your birthday in one year was Monday, in the next year, if after the leap year, it would be on Wednesday. So that's the leap in leap year. This is Steve Kosas with the Marie Drake Planetarium. Our public shows are on our website at mariedrakeplanetarium.org. Thank you. Juno Afternoon from Studio 2K at KTOO. I'm your host, Boston Christopher. AWARE's 27th Annual Women of Distinction Gala will be held on Saturday, March 2nd at Centennial Hall. This year's honorees are Lisa Doherty, Debbie Fagnant, Lori Grassgreen, and Nikki Love. They are being honored for their accomplishments to the people of Juno. They were nominated by community members and selected by AWARE's Board of Directors. For more, you can visit awareak.org. And now, it's a pleasure to welcome to Studio 2K, dedicated to Carolyn Hobbs-Peterson, Debbie, Lori, and Nikki, three of the honorees, along with Mandy Cole, AWARE's Executive Director. Thank you all so much. It's a pleasure having you all here. Wasaiati, how's it going? Well, oh, go ahead. It's great. We are delighted to be here. Okay. (laughs) I'm glad to have you all here. It's so good. Well, Mandy, let me start with you, if you can grab that microphone a little bit. So 27th annual. This is a long time. That's right. I'm going to be 27 next year. Basically, (laughs) it's just as long as I've been. But... It, seriously, it has been a really long time. It's been, um, you know, I've been with AWARE for almost 20 years, and we've been doing this for 27 years. And we have 27 years of beautiful stories and just the most inspirational cast um, <laughs> that I think yeah. you, could, you could imagine. And the three newest members are here with me today. And I'm super excited for everyone to learn what I learn, which is that you think you know Nikki, Debbie, Lori, but you don't. You don't. <laughs> gonna... So um, tell us how the event got started. <laughs> well, I guess, you know, conceptually, the event got started because have you heard of this thing called patriarchy? All right. I am a member. (laughs) (laughs) So there was a time, perhaps, where women weren't recognized um, always for their contributions in this world. And um, AWARE noticed a little something about that um, in our history of providing services for domestic violence and sexual assault survivors. And we thought, you know, what would be really awesome is to take uh, to take a moment out of every year, um, hear what our community has to say about our beloved women and their contributions, and then give them a chance to say what motivates them. Oh, and yeah. what's really cool is that you'll you'll hear beautiful, moving stories from the folks who nominated these women, but then you'll hear completely different, beautiful, moving stories of what inspired them in their lifetime. So there's just, it's like layer and layer and layer of awesomeness that we get to enjoy on Saturday. I love that. And I know I mentioned um, community nominations in the opening. How does that process work? When does it start? So for next year, people can start thinking about that. That's right. Start thinking about it now. Um, In late August uh, or September, we start 
start. We open nominations. You can get the nomination form off of our website. People work on them through the month of of September. We put a closing date on there. At that date, we gather up all of the completed nominations and the board of directors has a wonderful and challenging night of reading beautiful stories and picking out our top four nominees. That's what I was, that was my next question is how in the world with all the wonderful women do you decide on just four? <laughs> well, I mean, it, that is, that is a hard part, but I think what you'll see on Saturday is that Every woman who's selected as a woman of distinction has a little spark of an extra something. And that comes through in the in the nominations. It's just a lot of love that the people who nominated them have for them. And you can just you can see it clearly on the page. Absolutely. So. And I do. Um, this is a fundraiser for AWARE as well. Oh, yes. right? Um, tell us about the night and what we can expect. And then we'll meet all of these lovely folks. Sure. Well, our, our doors will open at 530 um, and we'll have a plated dinner at about 630. It's going to be catered this year by Red Spruce. You might have heard of them. Very delicious. Yummy. And we will have um, Chris Sell. If you've been a if you've been a Juno eight for a while, you might remember Lieutenant Chris Sell from the Juno Police Department. She comes back each year to be our MC, and actually, this is her final year, so it's going to be extra special. And we will have a silent auction. We will have a little bit of a live auction hosted by a little known personality. I think his name is Jesse Keel. <laughs> um, and then we will have. A dessert auction and tables folks tables will be able to um, bid on desserts and and you'll be able to pay lots of money but get lots of deliciousness in in exchange for that and I, I I would assume that the inspirational stories that you hear might make you want to open your pocketbook even more they <laughs> that's sure what, that's do. what it does to me yeah definitely I think when you um you know, the, very seriously, this is a time for people to see what AWARE does in a way that feels like uplifting. You know, so many times people think of AWARE and domestic violence and sexual assault. And, um, you know, when my, my son was very little. He had a friend coming over and I was doing something, getting ready for an event. And, he, and the friend was like, what's your mom doing? And my friends and uh, my son said, she does see actual assault. <laughs> like he couldn't <laughs> he had to smell it out. Exactly. So, you know, I'm used to people whispering. I'm used to kind of like, oh, I'm sorry when I say what we do. But this is a night of celebration and it's a night we can just be ourselves. It's a night we can be celebrated for the work we do, for the work they've done. Um, my staff gets some attention. It's just a wonderful um, event that I think everyone leaves feeling happy and hopefully less burdened by their monetary wealth. Awesome. That's so good. Well, let's meet these fine, wonderful people. Um, so I wanted I want to go in alphabetical order. Um, by last name, I guess. So I think since Lisa isn't able to join us today, um, Lisa Doherty, well, maybe you could tell us a little bit about Lisa. Do you want to say a little something about Lisa? Since in absentia. Yeah. In, Absolutely. In <laughs> so Lisa Doherty um, is a, a, a nominee who is going to talk a lot about the, the things that motive her to really make composting a, a daily activity for so many families in Juneau. And um, she's going to give us a little bit of education, a little bit of motivation. And I think what she's able to bring to this group is um, a big picture. Like our climate is important. Everything we do to lessen the impacts of, of this world on our natural climate um, is going to be vital. And so I think we'll get 
get to hear a lot of cool stuff from Lisa. Yeah, Lisa uh, does the composting for us here at KTOO, and she has done events for us. And I remember the first event that I did with her. It was one of the seafood fests back a few years back. And and her, her big push at that point was to get people, when they're doing events, to start using compostable um, you know, where like s- knives and forks and plastic wear and make sure that's, and even the cups. And she was showing me the difference between the cups. Like, see this cup right here, this isn't compostable because X, Y, Z. Right. And, um, so she is so knowledgeable about that and then provides such a great service and then turns that all into, um, stuff that people can then use to, in their garden, right. To be able to, to buy the, the stuff, the mulch, I guess, and uh, and sort of turn that, and so it's just a great renewable uh, thing. I love that, so I'm I'm really glad to see Lisa on the list. Okay, Debbie, uh, let's start with you. Um, you're next in the alphabetical order. <laughs> <laughs> you bet. Well, you know, I was like shocked and amazed when um, Mandy called and said that I was receiving this award, and I was like. Why? You know, like, what did they say about me? You know? Yeah, I want to see those forms. I know. I I mean, there's other people like Lisa who have, you know, done really significant things for the community. And she she just kind of smiled over the phone and said, well, I think you're sort of a Jill of all trades. And I said, "Okay, okay, that I can go. I can go. I have a 30 year career teaching in Juneau um, Capital School and Harborview, and um, and I've worked a lot since retirement in the mental health field, um, working with NAMI Juno as an advocate for parents and families who have a loved one who's living with a mental illness, um, and that has been super rewarding and challenging, and um, you know just. Being able to share hope with people and the fact that they're not alone in um, the kind of the issues that they they deal with. And I also want to mention that I know working with Nami Juno, but you are the president of the board. Well, I am. (laughs) (laughs) Which is a big deal, right? That's a big deal. It's a big commitment. It's a big commitment. And I love it. I love it. You know, okay, as long as we're going that far, I'm going to say that my husband and I are teaching a family-to-family class in April. It's eight um, sessions, and it is fabulous. It's oh, that's And great. so we invite any family members who are or friends who've got loved ones dealing with mental illness to call or contact um, NAMI Juno. You can go to namijuno.org. Um, and we also have great support groups. So. Yeah, and that's NAMI, that's N-A-M-I, Juno.org. They're a great organization for the community. They've been on yeah. the show many times, and yep. um, it's a wonderful organization. I'm glad to see that you are the president of their board. That yeah. is that yeah. is very cool. So um, will you tell us a little bit about what it means to be honored in this way? Oh, it's embarrassing. <laughs> it's a joy. It's a total joy. <laughs> One was the, that was a little, that was, yeah, okay. That was an inner voice. <laughs> that, was, that was, it slipped out. Yeah. Unfiltered. Right. Um, well, I mean, it's, it is, it's been amazing. It's been amazing. We, I, I was at the legislature the, the other day, just last week, and um, talking with legislators about mental health issues and ran into two different 
people that I've known in my past who said, oh, you're a woman of distinction. That's so amazing. And I'm like, it is amazing. But let's talk about something else. <laughs> um, so really, to have your name um, thrown out to the um, to the community is very humbling. It's well, you incredible. know what? It's nice. I know when we were talking a little bit about the president of the board or the NAMI and things, yeah. and, you know, it's sort of like I, I get the sense that you are one of those people that is it was one, one of the reasons you're probably getting this award is because you are about the work of others, making it about the work of others, not having the spotlight on yourself necessarily and doing that work. And of course, being an educator for all the years that you did that, that is also a big deal because you're working towards making everybody better in our community. And so it's really nice once in a while to have the spotlight shown back on you just to say, thank you, Gunnath Cheese for that work. You know, um, now I know that these these awards are really inspiring for other people, and I know part of it on Saturday you're going to talk about what inspires you. Will you give us a little hint of what you might be talking about on Saturday? What inspires you? You're probably still oh, making notes and what, things. Yeah, I I am. What so of what inspires me? Well, people who go um, outside of their comfort zone to. Um, reach and just stand by somebody who needs standing by. So like people who aren't afraid of stigma and aren't afraid of standing up and um, um, just walking the journey with someone else. That to me is fabulous. I love that. Yeah. That's Debbie Fagnant, who is one of the honorees at this weekend's Women of Distinction from AWARE. Lori Grassgreen. Hello. Hi, how are you? Doing pretty good. <laughs> awesome. Um, tell us a little bit about yourself and your work. Sure. Um, I was saying that sometimes um, it's a little hard to explain my work, but here's my best attempt. Is First, I, I did work in the domestic violence and sexual assault prevention field um, for many years. But for the past decade, I've been at the Association of Alaska School Boards and so we work statewide, but we have been doing a lot of work with Juno and in Southeast. And what we do is like we really are part of the team. We really look at like what are the conditions that students need to learn? And um, that can be things about school climate. It can be about having trauma informed environments. It can be connecting families and school. It can be about elevating youth voice and getting those experiences. Um, so there are a lot of things that maybe aren't in the core of teaching always that um, are really important for students to be able to show up and learn and be supported to do that. So, uh, yeah. yeah. So is it sort of like... Um, for lack of a better term, is it you're, you're doing a lot of behind the scenes work on how structures and programs yeah. and things are it's system change yeah. work. Yeah. It really is. It's it's about there's training and coaching and structures. It's about that system change work to say, how can we do better by our students and our families? How do we see better outcomes for all students, each student. Um, and, you know, when I think there's been such a big debate recently around what's going on in the Juno schools, but also statewide about what resources are we dedicating to the future of our students and our community. Um, and there's a big gap um, to seeing how we really help students succeed and 
contribute to their community in ways that are powerful and meaningful. We're we're developing the next generation here. You know, I love that. Yeah. So. And um, in in looking you up, I was looking at this title, and I hope this is still it. But okay. the director of the initiative for community engagement—that's a big title. It is, but we've kind of transitioned that to conditions for learning team because that's really, but it's it's similar. Um, we're doing a lot of community engagement, youth engagement, family partnership work, um, and just really trying to make it a, a experience where you're a part of a community and you're working together towards those shared goals and outcomes, which um, are for individual students and for our schools and for our community. I'm so. getting a good sense of why you were nominated and received mm-hmm. this award because it seems like there's so much to, we, we see on the front face, like you mentioned, we see the front facing sort of, we take our kid to school, we see the teacher, we maybe see the principal, but we don't necessarily understand how it's all put together or how it's all engaged. And right now, of course, yeah, there's lots of conversation about budget and how are we going to be affording all of this and what are we going to be doing? And feel free you know, to talk to our governor about that. Yeah, so. and, and where, which, you know, the schools and how they're going to be switching that up for the high school and all that change. And in, in, in all the behind the scenes work that goes on to have those systems in place and to help um, the future of our education. Right. So I think yeah. that I'm, I'm getting a good sense of why you were, were nominated. Um, what does it feel for you to be honored in this way? Well, um, you know, it is uncomfortable in some ways and it is humbling. Um, I think the a uh, moment that has had the most impact to me so far has been I did ask to read the um, letters from the folks that nominated me. And so reading that was really touching and moving. And um, and and, you know, I think when I read it and I see words like mentor or other things like that from some of the folks that. Um, I look at the people that wrote that and they're my mentors, you know, and so um, so it's humbling and it's a great honor. So and and uncomfortable. And I I imagine um, that there will be or has been uh, over the years at the award ceremony, many uh, tears, but tears of happiness, right? Tears of joy, tears of love, as Mandy mentioned earlier, in terms of, you know, just sort of the expression of celebrating women in our community. Um, and I'm feeling that now. So I, I definitely love that. I love that you are all being honored in this way. It's really cool. And I don't want to um, have any spoilers or anything, but it is true. There have been points in my life that I would not have been convinced that I would have be alive today, much less for re- receiving an award. So, yeah, there's. Oh, yeah, I love that. So um, I know I want to ask everyone this. So, uh, Nikki, you're 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 up next. But (laughs) the idea of this inspiration that you'll be talking about Mm -hmm. on um, Saturday uh, to me, like, first of all, first off, having people get up and talk about someone or me or anybody, I can see how that will be uncomfortable, at least, you know, and humbling, really humbling. Right. Um, And uh, but then you're going to get up and you're going to talk a little bit about your inspiration. Can you share a little bit about what you're thinking about? in terms of the message you might be sending on Saturday? Sure. Um, I think that one of the things about Juno is that there are so many ways to show up 
And we live in this amazing place, Klinkidani, um, beautiful land, a community coming together. So I think to me, for me, I'm probably going to share what inspires me. And some of the folks will be in the room there that inspire me. Um, the work that we're doing, the way that we come together. Um, so I think I'll be sharing some of those highlights. Yeah. That sounds so good. That sounds so good. Um, that's Lori Grassgreen, who uh, works at the Association of Alaska School Boards and is being uh, honored with the Women of Distinction 2024, one of the four uh, folks being honored on Saturday night for AWARE's fundraiser. Um, okay, Nikki Love, who I have had in the studio before. It's yes. a pleasure to see you again, Gunnath Cheese, for being here. So tell us a little bit about you and your work. Well, um, it's good to see you again. Thanks for having us all. Um, I work for the Association for the Education of Young Children. I'm the creative director there, and I've been with the organization since 2000. Oh, wow. And we've, um, AYC is what we call it, and it's been active in the community since 1982. And our mission is really to support the people who are supporting our children. So that, in a nutshell, is what I've been up to for 23 years. <laughs> and, and definitely, it's a lot of work behind the scenes. Yeah, I know that. I know we've we've partnered. KTO I know has partnered with you all in the past. I know we did some fun sessions with Elmo or yes. and, and different things that have <laughs> come across through the PBS stratosphere and all that in terms of you know helping to get kids engaged with different things. And so that's that's really cool. Um, and so I imagine that um, it feels sort of as well humbling to be honored with this award. Tell us a little bit about what that feels like for you. Yeah, absolutely. Um, uh, the person who nominated me is actually one of our neighbors and I, I really love she and her family. We don't know each other that well. So it was really surprising to me that she submitted a nomination and in I think a large part of it is because she listens to the radio and she reads the media and she pays attention to these things. And she had my track record of, oh, you've been talking to these legislators and to these people on the radio and doing this thing. Like, what else are you up to? And I would tell her about our projects and initiatives. And, you know, so she's been observing this for years and decided that that she wanted to put forward that nomination and and it's really humbling to see you know to yeah to have someone from that point of view who you don't necessarily know that well um recognize the work that's really awesome actually yeah. because it, the impact of your work then is so seen you yeah. know, um, and, and to have someone that you say, like as a neighbor that you don't really know too well, but to then to say, I want to nominate Nikki for this award because of the work that I know she's doing. Um, I, I, that's, that's fascinating. I love that. That's really fantastic. Um, and I just want to make sure that we give a plug for AEYC. Can you give the website? Yes, it is AEYC-SEA.org. And very frustratingly right now, it's down. And I know. I went there today. I know. And I have been working on this for several days with various uh, tech teams. And so I'm sorry. It's up. I mean, it's there. Just it's... Uh, 
It gives you a little warning right now. It says like, hey, this might be unsafe. So it's just a matter of getting behind the scenes and getting It's not actually unsafe, but yeah, yeah, there's a glitch in in the The glitch in the matrix. Yeah. (laughs) The IT people are on it. They are. Yes, they are. Uh, (laughs) And and so for you, for this Saturday, in terms of inspiration, um, what inspires you? Um, I keep thinking of this and I keep coming back to the idea of connection. And I really believe that connection um, creates wellness. And whether that's in an individual um, having healthy attachments and relationships to either your caregivers, your family members, um, your spouse or others, your community members, um, being able to share your life with someone and be connected really uh, fosters that wellness. And I think we see a lot of disconnection, especially with COVID. Um, We're seeing, you know, a huge increase in mental health challenges, in substance use. And I think, you know, in this this post-apocalyptic world we're in right now, you know, it's hard for people. It's really hard. And it did no favors to our young children. Mm. The systems that we've had in place for years have never been quite enough to support our kids the way that we know they need to be supported. Um, And there is, since the early 2000s, an increase in knowledge about brain development and what's happening in those early years, and especially around attachment and connection. And that's the foundation for everything. So if we can get this Um, And I won't say perfect because we were talking about this earlier. Perfection is the enemy of the good. Mm -hmm. So if we can just do better, we have those tools, we have the capability. um, And that's what I spend a lot of my time doing is is talking to people about let's increase funding, let's increase support. um, And also you're not alone. So we do a lot of work with families and with child care providers who are, are connected to our children and let them know it's normal. It's normal that your children are throwing these amazing tantrums. It's normal that maybe they haven't grasped language yet. Um, And if something isn't normal, let's connect you with people who can help, who have a perspective and resources. I love it. That's Nikki Love, advocate, artist, all kinds of things, works at AEYC, uh, one of the four Women of Distinction for 2024 from AWARE. It's the event happening this Saturday. It's March 2nd at Centennial Hall. The event features a no-host bar, a catered dinner, silent and live auctions, and the opportunity for the honorees to share what inspires them. Proceeds will benefit AWARE's intervention and prevention services and adult and child survivors of sexual and domestic abuse. Gunnath Cheesh, for you all being here today, it was a pleasure to hear all of your stories and get inspired. Really appreciate it. You coming in. Thank you. Juno Afternoon airs Tuesday through Friday at 3 p.m. right here on KTO Juno 104.3 and KAUK Juno Ock Bay 91.7. Hello out the road. Find the show online at ktoo.org slash Juno Afternoon, where you can listen to episodes, subscribe to the podcast, offer suggestions or feedback, or find out how to be a guest on the show. Our theme music is by Indian Agent. Juno Afternoon is a project of the KTOO Arts and Culture team. I'm Boston Christopher, producer and host of the program with help today from Lisa Purvis. Thanks, and have a lovely Juno evening, and happy almost leap day. Juno.